Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to Face to Face. This is a show about change and what's next. It's a show that asks questions and peels back the layers of our average everyday experience and goes beyond scratching the surface. We interview people doing incredible things who are making a difference around the globe. Join me as we listen in and get one step closer to understanding that big ideas shared create collaboration. Collaboration can inspire community and communities create social change. I'm David Peck and this is Face to Face. So today's conversation for me was just an incredible treat. It's with the former Prime Minister of Bhutan. You've probably heard of gross national happiness before. Well, Mr. Jigmeet Tinley was here in Toronto for a conference that's so changed. That's, you know, my organization. Uh, partnered with Humber College to bring him and a few other speakers together for a one-day event called Beyond GDP. And I had the fortune of being able to interview Mr. Tinley this morning. He talks about some really interesting things connected to this notion of gross national happiness. He talks about, you, you know, the accumulation of wealth. He talks about uh, creating conditions that matter in the ultimate goal, good and universal aspiration and about why our neighbors might no longer be important in this whole notion of enlightened selfishness. You're going to enjoy this guy. He's soft-spoken. He's delightful. He's a Buddhist. He's a spiritual man who cares a great deal about where we're heading individually, collectively, and global. He talks about the paradox of globalization as well in today's interview. Listen to this, quote, we no longer are human beings. We are more and more economic animals surviving in a marketplace. And our values are not in terms of us as human beings pursuing human values. In terms of our relationships with others, supporting each other, no, our values are nothing more than those as consumers. And our countries are increasingly defined, shamelessly defined, as consumer markets, close quote. That was from an interview that he did on the 
um, about a year and a half ago uh, on the notion of gross national happiness. You're going to enjoy this interview. Sorry about the long introduction. Make sure you check out Real Change is Incremental. Check out the website, davidpecklive.com. Don't forget to support Rabble as often as you can, and you're going to love this interview. See you next time. Well, welcome to Face to Face. It is a beautiful sunny day here in Toronto, and uh, I think my listeners are going to really enjoy today's uh, interview. I, I'm kind of astounded to actually be sitting here with the former Prime Minister of Bhutan, uh, Mr. Jigme Tinley. Thank you for joining us today. My pleasure. Mr. Tinley is here uh, in Toronto to, uh, he was here to uh, act as a keynote and a participant in a conference yesterday held by Humber College called Beyond GDP. conference was about uh, moving beyond uh, merely or purely economic indicators in development and Bhutan has been the leader and Mr. Tinley has certainly been a leader in that. So we're, we're, we're going to talk about happiness today actually in this interview and it sounds kind of maybe trite on one level. This idea of gross national happiness, but uh, this is a pretty pretty exciting topic. I think you're gonna you're gonna there's gonna be some revelations. I think here today that uh, for for our listeners. So again, thank you for joining us. So, former prime minister, uh, a man who's been involved in public life for so long. Uh, reflecting now, you've told me recently that you're spending a lot of time gardening, a lot of time speaking, reflecting. I would imagine. When you look back, are you convinced that this idea of uh, happiness is, this idea of gross national happiness is a way forward for individuals and communities and countries? Oh, that I'm very certain. But as you said in the very beginning, while introducing me, um, the idea of uh, happiness is considered to be a little too trite, you know, uh, frivolous. And that is the problem. Whereas happiness is the ultimate desire, the aspiration of every human being, it is sad that it has been trivialized for too long by politicians, by academics, by anybody uh, who, like, who wants to be taken seriously, thinks that uh, to talk about happiness uh, is uh, to, be, to be frivolous, as I said. And so they stayed away. Um, and that, I think, has been society's mistake. Because we neglected and trivialized what was the most important thing for us. We have been pursuing things, pursuing goals that have taken away, taken us away from happiness. It's kind of ironic in a way. One of the things it seems to me, I just, you know, if you talk to somebody and you were actually to ask them, what is it that you're looking for? Or what's your goal in life? You know, they might talk about the work they do and their family and so on. But so often you hear this cliche, well, you know, I just want to be happy. Exactly. And there's a sense in which that almost, that phrase is a confirmation of what you're saying, but also at the same time, kind of, yeah. sort of, well, yeah. I, you know, as if I'm never going to get so there. So, at, in a sense, uh, at the personal level, yes, people will say, yes, I want to be happy. Happiness is what I, is my goal. But on the other hand, uh, it was too trivial a matter to be taken uh, seriously uh, in terms of public policy, in terms of public resource allocations in terms of public endeavors, in terms of public officials being held accountable for 
creating conditions that uh, matter to uh, uh, the uh, level of happiness or that would enable or uh, block, um, obstruct uh, the pursuit of happiness by citizens. Likewise, it was considered too, too frivolous, so even for the academia. In fact, for a long time, those academics, researchers, who dared to, um, to take, to, 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 do, to research and, and, and to do work on, on this subject, had to be content to be on the margins mm. Of, uh, mm. of academia. Reb rebels. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but now I think the world is waking up and happiness is no longer considered an ideal utopian in a matter, but rather it is being considered and being recognized as something that in fact is worthy of uh, being taken seriously as a public policy goal. The way the that way can be measured. That can be measured. So in a sense you are redefining in a sense what happiness is really all about. It's it's about sustainability. It's about a holistic approach to the human condition. Yes. Really. Yes. Yes. So in Bhutan what we have done is um, <clears throat> At the very beginning of our development process, that was in the 60s, um, you know, we did um, start, begin with what um, the rest of the world was doing. That is, um, pursuing the goal of uh, um, economic growth as may be measured through GDP. But then 10 years later, when um, the king at the time died, when, when the older king died, and the young king assumed, uh, ascended the throne, he began by asking the question as to what is the purpose of development and uh, what the people had to tell him, tell their king was that, look, all we want from you is to, to allow us to be happy, to enable us to be happy. To enable us. Yes. That he understood as meaning that what the people wanted was for the government to, and for him, to lead the government into creating happiness-enabling conditions. So GNH as a development model is about creating services, creating well, meeting the needs of the people that will enable them to to be happy. One of the things, I read a, a, an interview that you did, I think, about a year ago uh, for uh, Mint, mintpress.com uh, by Magda Fazi, and you, you, I think you talked about how this whole idea of G&H came out of the 70s with the king after three years of intensive... Yes. Listening. Yes. Basically. Yes. yes. And I wonder, Jigme, sometimes I tell my students yeah. about listening. I mean, mm -hmm. being a good development yes. worker yes. has to be about participating and inclusion mm -hmm. and affirming. I get this idea of this mm -hmm. embrace. And you can only do that by not being arrogant, yes, not coming in with right. all the answers. That's right. That's right. It's, it's remarkable, yes. really. I think uh, leadership, good leadership, is about uh, listening hearing and understanding and then responding mm. to what you have heard and understood. And for that, I think a leader needs to be humble. Yes. Mm. Mm. Um, 
And uh, our king, as a young person at the age of 16 and a half, that's wow. how old he I, was. I, I knew that. He was a very forgotten. humble person. Wow. You know, quite unlike uh, what you would expect of right. a young man. You right, know? sure. And so uh, it was, uh, GNH is a concept that uh, uh, was uh, conceived by a king uh, who, uh, in a sense, uh, was simply articulating the, uh, the feelings, the aspirations of his, his people. There was nothing uh, you know, uh, innovative about it. That was, there was nothing imaginative or creative about it. It was simply, uh, as I said, uh, uh, you know, uh, verbalizing and putting into you know, uh, a form that, uh, that the people, an obvious aspiration that the people had, obvious. Have, have we in the West, and I, you know, it's easy to pick holes in the, about the West and, and you know, pick it apart and say, look at all the problems. But have we forgotten that? Like, I mean, if most of us want to be happy, if that's actually true, which I think there's a ton, uh, an awful lot of truth in that, why is it that we seem to connect that happiness with making more money, having a bigger house, uh, having the right car, going on a three-week holiday each year, and so on, having two children, not five, but two. That's, the, you know, sort of the, the, the... In fact, dig me, my son is nine, my daughter is seven, Victoria and Spencer, when we had a girl, we now had the million-dollar family. That's what it's called. I'd never mm. heard the expression before. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be 50 in the fall. I've never heard... But a mil Really? I said, I'm just delighted that we're having a boy and a girl. But no, no, that's the million-dollar family. Equating it to a dollar value. I mean, to me, that's kind of interesting. So I wonder uh, how we've been diverted. Yes. That is um, the sad... Um thing about uh, society, you know, uh, so, you know, development is something that uh, you think you are engaged in. A nation is engaged in, a society is engaged in, that will take the society to a higher level, higher state of well-being. But on the other hand, uh, it has come to mean nothing but uh, simply the pursuit of, uh, well, accumulation of wealth. Accumulation of wealth, thinking and imagining, imagining that in so doing, you are in fact accumulating happiness. And happiness, in many ways, in this uh, consumerist uh, society, is uh, likened to, um, well, is, is seen to be what everyone wants. So what you want, your aspiration is not so much what you really want yourself, but what you think others would like to have. So you simply want to be an object of envy mm -hmm. by having mm -hmm. more, by having better, by having <coughs> the latest, by having the more expensive, by having the bigger. But. Uh, in reality, that, that is not the case. And this is what the world is now realizing. And uh, in the process, what has happened is that to have more, to have bigger, to have an excess of everything means an excess of exploitation 
of the limited natural resources. Mm. And so we have now, we are now facing calamities of the kind um, that uh, are nothing but the result of uh, human greed. Greed that has led to uh, the creation of uh, products, goods that are not so much needed as are demanded to satisfy this desire to have more simply. When do you think, I've often wondered this about, you know, I live in this capitalistic society, I live in this free market that's in italics. Yeah. Well, when, when is enough enough? How, you know, when, when I think about people who are giving back, who, you know, donate a part of their money, who tithe, you know, from a religious perspective, who give 10% of their income to a church or to a community food bank or whatever the case might be. How do you determine? Is it, is it really purely subjective? Is it, is it about a personal thing between you and your religion or you and your morals or you and your God to say, okay, this is how I'm going to give back, but I'm going I'm to cut it off right here. That's enough for me. One car is enough, uh, a smaller home. Like I, I, I live in uh, one of the richest places in Canada, um, and you know, you'll drive through those areas and the homes and you, you kind of, on one hand you think, wow, that would be pretty nice. But on another hand you think, wow, that's just, you know, couldn't that family have chosen a bit of a smaller place and maybe given back just a little bit more? <laughs> so there's this act of judgment, JP, on one hand. It, it's, yeah, it's, it's a real, for me, it's a real, it's a real paradox. You know, working in development, trying to raise money for initiatives in Africa and Southeast Asia. How do you convince people to say, hang on, you got enough? Maybe you, can, maybe you can help us out a little bit more now. Well, sadly, that is the greatest difficulty that the human individual faces. And that is how to control his greed. Mm. Once greed takes over, you know, once avarice takes over, there is no limit. There is no such thing as satisfaction of one's greed, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, greed is insatiable. And so uh, the reality of the consumerist society being driven by greed is what is causing all these problems. And at the individual level, it is manifest in the sad condition of the human individual not being able to find contentment. And as long as you do not experience contentment, you will not be able to find happiness. You cannot be happy. Because you are obsessed with getting more, going after more. And it is this process that has in fact enslaved human society. So our greed, in fact, has enslaved us. And in that state of slavery, we are not in a position to think really of happiness and be able to find happiness. Do you think Bhutanese people are less greedy than others? No, Bhutanese people are no different uh, from any other people. No different from Canadians, no different from um, a Nigerian. Oh. We are all the same. Where we differ is that we are at an earlier 
state of development. Mm. Um, you know, uh, we are still at that stage when um, the, the grip of consumerist ethics has not, you know, fully, you know, uh, overwhelmed uh, mm. the Bhutanese mind. Uh, and um, so um, the Bhutanese at this stage are still very spiritual. They are still very mindful of, uh, uh, their, of uh, their need for spiritual growth, spiritual satisfaction. They are still very mindful of the importance of cultivating and, uh, you know, enriching um, themselves with uh, the, the wealth of uh, social relationships, you know, the social, social wealth, social capital, building social capital is still very important for the Bhutanese. So they have great respect, love and value for their parents, for their children for their siblings, for their neighbors. And one of the reasons for this is at this early stage of development is that um, the state, the government, the state, um, through the payment of tax, you know, uh, in Bhutan, you know, uh, is still not in a position to meet all your basic, you know, growing basic needs. So. The meaning then that uh, much of your needs uh, are dependent, the satisfaction, meeting of those needs are dependent on how you are able to interact and relate to your immediate, to your family, to your neighbors. You are dependent on each other to, be, to, be, to get and to uh, receive those needs that in modern states, in rich countries, are are provided, served and delivered by the state. And so when that happens, you, you know, say a Canadian is not dependent in any way on his neighbor. I don't, I don't have to take care no. of my neighbor. Yeah. Somebody, somebody yeah. else is you going to do you it for me. You don't need. You see? So the neighbor is not important. Your parents are not important. Your siblings are not important. But in Bhutan, especially the majority of the Bhutanese as they live on the farms, the reality of independence is so powerful, you know. It's, it's there, you know, it's you know, glaring at you every day. You know that you cannot survive unless you have the goodwill, the support. So there's and something, the in, I mean, the people there's around clearly you. Intense, something intensely relational about that, yes, right? Yes, I mean, yes. So in a sense, this idea of gross national happiness comes out of, spirit, out of a spirit of inclusion. Out yes. of a, a spirit of relationship yes, and almost yes. a love for yes. not only my neighbors but for others yes. in, in particular. Yes. Because without giving love to others, without respecting others, and without supporting others, you know that you are not going to be able to satisfy your own needs. You're not going to be able to stand alone. So you might say that uh, there is this enlightened selfishness. Mm. You know? I was just going to say, I was going to yeah, use the phrase yeah. self-interest. Yes, yes, There's something yes, self-interested yes. about so this. Your right? self-interest interest cannot be met and fulfilled unless you are able to, 
to help others in meeting their needs. Full satisfaction of your needs comes through helping others. I, I read somewhere that you talked about religion as being, I mean, kind of all religions are similar in a sense. And, and we were, we were uh, spent some time over dinner last night as a group after the conference at Humber College. And I, I think I heard you say something along the lines, we spend way too much time on the differences. Yes. And not enough time on what's similar. Yes. And so this idea of moral values yes, or yes. centeredness or, mm -hmm. or, 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 or universal understanding about the good, mm -hmm. um, is that something you think we need more of in today's culture, this idea of common ground? Yes. Or at and least this, this is the paradox the of ground. globalization. Mm -hmm. you know? That is, even as the forces of globalization compel us to uh, interact with each other physically, you know, the, sp you know, the space is shrinking. Uh, you know, we are jostling for space. We, we are brushing each other all the time. And yet, even as this physical contact you know, the physical interaction, this physical closeness is compelled by this globalization, we are drifting further and apart. Mm. And we are looking, because we are looking more for differences, for the reasons why we should stay apart, rather than why we should enjoy, you know, and, uh, and uh, make capital out of this, this condition that brings us together. So, uh, so, um, uh, the globalization, the, the, the paradox of globalization is that um, uh, we are, in fact, as nations, as communities, and as individuals, we are drifting further apart. As supposedly Thomas Friedman says, the world gets flatter. Mm. The theory is that we're more connected. Yes. Well, we certainly we are, are digitally connected. connected. Yes. We are physically connected, but emotionally, mentally, and socially, we are becoming falling apart. We are separate, disconnected. So, coming out of yesterday's conference, what I know about gross national happiness, the director of academic, Ken Schroeder, probably the only Canadian who has a PhD in gross national happiness, and I hope he's about to write and speak and get the word on the street academically and, and as we saw out of the conference yesterday there's a lot of people thinking about these issues. About I, was, these I issues. was amazed, I was, I was impressed. You know, um, many um, you know, um, elderly, middle-aged, working people came to see me and uh, shared their feelings uh, about, the, about the conference and uh, about uh, the various presentations, the views that were shared by uh, uh, many speakers, and how uh, they feel that a beginning of change for them, you know, was what happened yesterday. Mm. There were mm. several who, who said that. And at the same time, um, the young, you know, the, the, the students, there, there was a large number of students there, so many of them uh, met me, as I, and I saw them doing the same thing with other speakers as well. I think uh, it, uh, you know, uh, it sparked um, a feeling, a beginning of uh, a new awareness, um, uh, a beginning uh, of um, a 
sense that they were experiencing, um, uh, uh, which um, I think will lead them to become more mindful of, uh, of themselves, uh, of others around them, and are more reflective of uh, the meaning and purpose of life itself. I think quite a few of them yesterday were telling me that, uh, you know, in, in various ways, in various, various ways, um, you know, various words, uh, 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 that uh, they, they were not very certain as to what they really wanted in life. But they feel that yesterday a beginning has been made in terms of reflecting on the meaning and purpose and what they wish to pursue in life. So this clearly, clearly so, brings, yes, a sense you, of direction. Hope, yes, a direction. Yes, it gives me hope. Yes, it does. And uh, in fact, uh, from a stage when state when you know GNH um, was uh, a subject of ridicule in a sense, it was. Uh, yes. It was an absurd idea. Uh, and we, Bhutanis, certainly didn't feel comfortable talking about it with uh, outsiders. From that kind of a state, uh, we have now reached a place in human history when um, uh, the word happiness, the idea of happiness, is being taken seriously uh, at the level of the international community in the United Nations. Now, um, it's quite certain that uh, the new sustainable development goals that will be adopted in September of this year uh, will um, uh, will be um, uh, will will have you know uh, will 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 include happiness. Will consider happiness. Um, uh, will view happiness as as uh, as a, as as a goal. Uh, human goal worth pursuing, a goal uh, that is meaningful and that, that can be measured. And at the same time, uh, what we are seeing is uh, many countries, many um, subnational governments have already started actually uh, you know, pursuing. Uh, the goal of happiness, uh, albeit some refer to it as life satisfaction, you know, is, there's still a little, some are still a little uncomfortable about using the word happiness. So uh, they uh, substituted with uh, life satisfaction, uh, well-being, mm. uh, and so on. But uh, the general idea, I think, has caught on. Do you think your history, we're going to have to wrap up here in a couple of minutes, which is too bad. Uh, we're barely scratching the surface here. But do you think that your, the king at 16's understanding of his, the wisdom that he had in seeing the future, your desire to pursue this not only for you as your individual and as your family and your country, but globally, do you think that is connected to your Buddhist values? Is it connected to something that came out of uh, simply from your, your family background? You know, I, I think of my mother and my father and the influence they had on my life and my love for reading, something as simple as reading, Jigme, that came from my mom and dad. 
you know? Mm -hmm. And I, I guess I'm asking you the question to try to get a sense of how do I pass this on to my kids? The, the fact is that uh, uh, this idea came. Uh, well, the idea of gross national happiness, you know, uh, as a concept. Um, but the value, the good, the ultimate good that happiness is, is has got nothing to do with Bhutan, you know. Uh, it is, there's nothing original about it. It is a universal aspiration, human aspiration. And, uh, and the Bhutanese were simply, well, the Bhutanese, the simple, you know, poor Bhutanese, you know, were at the early stages of our development, uh, were uh, simple enough to, uh, to ask their king, you know, uh, uh, to make this the, um, make this his, his responsibility as the king. Um, and uh, the king, on the other hand, I think was simply, again, honest enough, humble enough uh, uh, to uh, not to in any way uh, undermine this as uh, something, you know, as I said earlier, something uh, that, that is frivolous, something that others may not take seriously, you know. He simply, he simply reiterated, articulated what the people, people wanted. What is, there's nothing absurd, there is nothing wise about this at all. What is absurd is, why is it that it took the human society so long to come to this final, you know, understanding now, you know, ultimately now there is this growing understanding that happiness is important. Why is it that it took so long? That is what is absurd. And do you get a sense? It took so much of unhappiness so much to accept that yeah. happiness the matters is important. Yeah. You know? yeah, we had to wallow. It's a very our, unhappy world. We had to wallow. It's a very in insecure world. Yeah. So everything is collapsing around us. Why did it take so long to admit this truth? To accept this truth? That that is what is upset. Bit of so so a bit of a, a reformation is occurring as far as you're yes, concerned. Yes, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Okay, I'm sorry. Uh, uh, I'm a little uh, no dis disconnected. No, it's you fine. Know, uh, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna read a quote here, uh, and we'll call it a day. So just to just to end off our interview today with uh, former Prime Minister of Bhutan, Jigme Tinley, he has recently said that what has gone wrong, quote, as a result of blind pursuit of economic growth is that we have forgotten that we are human beings who have needs of spiritual, emotional, and psychological satisfaction and well-being, close quote. I think that's a pretty nice way to end this conversation, this interview today. Thank you so much for Thank coming you. today. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you.